0: Hello, my friends, and welcome back to this final chapter of our series of what it means to be a Christian. We will be in Ephesians chapter 6 today, and I am really excited. You know, the Christian life, I think for a lot of misinformed people, um, is confusing. Uh, they don't seem to understand it in all its facet, and yet when we do, uh, it is a life that is just loaded with the glory of God. You know, everything happens for our good and His glory. That's that's biblical. I want to uh, I just start out um, on that premise about how a lot of Christians today... Um, my friends don't don't understand the the complete Christian life. They don't understand what not only what happened to them uh, when they became born again, as we've gone gone over in this series. But I want to read something to you that uh, was written by a gentleman by the name of William Gurnall, and uh, he wrote this class of the Christian in complete armor uh, back in the 1600s, and uh, this gentleman. If I, if I could recommend any set of books, there's a three, three book set, uh, on the Christian's life and the spiritual warfare that we'll be going over today. Uh, I would recommend getting it if you can. Again, it's called The Christian in Complete Armor. It's in three volumes and it's classic by, uh, William Gurnall, G-U-R-N-A-L-L. And I just want to open up this time together, brethren. By just uh, reading something to you that I think that is so prevalent today, as it was in his day, and yet we see it so much today. Uh, William writes this. He says they profess to know the gospel and name themselves heirs to the blessing of the saints, but when put to the test, they quickly grow sick of the journey and refuse to endure for Christ. At the first sign of hardship, they kiss and leave the Savior, reluctant to lose heaven. But even more unwilling to buy it at such a dear price, and I think that uh, that as we see it, uh, this day and age, as we go on, it's it's increasingly more relevant, if you will, the writings of the apostles uh, today than probably any other time in history regarding the persecution of the church. Uh, Paul made an interesting uh, he what he penned. The Holy Spirit had him pen. Uh, In Acts chapter 20, we've talked about this a lot, brethren. And and throughout my ministry, I don't know if there's really a more of a uh, discord in the Word of God that that I have expounded on than this one. And Paul was saying in Acts chapter 20, uh, start of verse 24, he says, But none of these things move me. You know, he's testified uh, to the Jews and also to the Gentiles, repentance toward God and faith toward the Lord Jesus Christ. And then again, in verse 24, he says, But none of these things move me, nor do I dare my life, count my life so dear to myself, that I may finish my race with joy in the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify of the, to the gospel of the grace of God. And he goes on in verse 27, he says, For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. And remember, brethren, this is the same apostle that, that pinned Ephesians that we're, uh, dealing with in this series, and also the sixth chapter and warfare that we're dealing with in this series. He said, I've not, dec- I've not shunned to declare you the whole counsel of God. He says in verse 28, therefore take heed to yourselves, to all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God which you purchased with his own blood. And he says this, for I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you not sparing the flock. Also from among your own selves, men will arise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. He said, watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone of you night and day with tears. It's prevalent today that that the enemy would come in and he would, he would have watered down teachers. He would have false teachers. He would have, uh, this professing Christian church in these last days, uh, shunning to declare not only the whole council of God, but getting the saints ready for what they're going to go to, especially young believers. Uh, it, it would be very, very, uh, unloving and uncaring and evil to, um, take a little child and kick him out in the cold world and say, okay there you go, fend for yourself. Uh, no, but we nurture the children we cause them to, to you know mature and, and feed them and as the years go on by the time they become adults, they're ready to go out and face the challenges of the world. It's the same way with the Christian faith, my friends. we come to Christ, We've been going through the wonderful riches of it and the great blessings of this Christian life and the character that that produces. Uh, I pray that you would really go over this series again and listen to what we've gone over about, about this life. It is absolutely fantastic. And this life was purchased for you, my friend, with the blood of Jesus Christ. So with that said, we ended last time in the fifth chapter. Uh, remember, we started the fifth chapter really starting to talk about character, you know, uh, what it means to be a Christian and what it means, uh, the riches and the, and the glorious position we've spent so long for the first three chapters going over. And now we start with the fourth chapter and the fifth talking about, uh you know, character. We're introducing uh the character of a Christian, you know. Uh, I remember years and years ago when my mother was um, in the banking uh, profession. And uh, years ago, and I would imagine it would be to this day, uh, when they would teach their tellers about money and about how to spot a counterfeit, they studied the real bill, the real dollar bill, brethren. They didn't study the phony or anything else. They studied the real thing. So when a counterfeit came over the counter, they could see it in an instant. They knew it. Something's wrong. Here, we know the Christian life, we studied it, we get into it with the Word of God, and when the counterfeit comes, we know it. Something's not right here. And we can check with the Word of God, and sure enough, um, we can we can have a sure plumb line for our life. Part of that plumb line, my brethren, is, is character. And as we get into this sixth chapter, um, the character, the beautiful, precious character of the Christian is is a damaging weapon toward the enemy. Um, People want to see the real thing. They they hear an incredible great news such as the gospel and how a wonderful Savior loves them and, and came to earth to live a life of perfectness, fulfilling every jot and tittle of God's law that we could not do. Sinless life, living a life that we could not live and yet going to the cross and dying for our sin. You know, it's often been said that cause today is so much problems is people need forgiveness. They need forgiveness of sins. They need to know the Creator. That was all bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. In character, we read in the in the epistle to James character, faith, and works, and how, how that goes together. When we study the Word of God, there is no uh, confusion uh about What is how? Where does works plan to faith and so forth? Works is the character that faith produces. It's the evidence of things not seen. It's it's what men see that proves the validity of our faith, proves the validity of our preaching and our in our uh, message that the Savior of the world has come and He's died on a cruel Roman cross that you and I might have life and have it eternally, and that produces character here and now so let's get into this uh sixth chapter uh i want to read down just a little bit and we'll get back into it and then we'll, we'll take it up from there children you remember how we left off in, in uh, ephesians 5 talking about the the marriage between a husband and a wife and and how what's that really illustrates between christ and his church you know we are the bride of christ he is our bridegroom and how tenderly and protectingly he keeps us so now as we as we enter into uh, the sixth chapter, he starts out with children. Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment, with promise. And this is the promise, verse 3, that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and ammunition of the Lord. You know, the the home and Christian standard Bible says, don't stir up anger in your children, but build them up in the admonition of the Lord. Look at verse five, bondservants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling and sincerity of heart as to Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. Verse seven, with good will, doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is slave or free. Verse 9, and you masters, do the same things to them, giving up threatening, knowing your own master also is in heaven. There is no partiality with him. I'm going to stop at verse 9 and go over these verses really quick, and, and it is exciting, isn't it? Uh, I love these series because... There's no time limit. There's no uh, outline that we have to follow. It's just getting into the Word of God and letting the Word of God get into us and speak for us. You know, um, John Reynolds, the man who was uh, made the suggestion, and there was a response. You know, of the uh, making of the Authorized Version, the King James Version, to King James. First, he he suggested the making of a new translation, and he he writes in his memoirs that. You know, we have two avenues that we must mature in. One is prayer, and the other is the Scriptures. We need prayer because that is us talking to God, and we need the Scriptures to get immersed in them because that is God speaking to us through the Scriptures. So when we look at prayer and we look at the Scripture, wow, we see that God comes alive, Um so why don't you say, back in verse 1 of chapter 6, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. I don't think there's, a, there's a, a viable parent on the face of this planet that does not want their children to be obedient. And what a heartache it causes when they're not. But look what God says. We'll talk about the, the, the meaning of, of a lot of these things in the Old Testament for us. It says, honor your father and your mother, verse 2, which is a first commandment with a promise, that it may be well with you, and that you may live long on the earth. Now, you'll find the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20 and also Deuteronomy chapter 5. This extended version, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth, comes from the Deuteronomy chapter 5 version. You know, it is God's uh, premise. It is his will. It is his desire that we would be obedient children. You know, that we would be obedient children. He loves obedience. When no children are obedient to their parents, it goes well with them. When children are not obedient to their parents, it does not go well at all. There is there is strife, there is rift, there is commotion, there is upheaval in the home, uh, you know. And and God definitely His will, His desired will, was that us as children would honor our father and our mother and then we would be obedient follow them and and by doing so it will be well with us we will be trained and have a great childhood things will go well and we, we can learn that aspect i want to read something to you and this is from deuteronomy chapter 21 just just to read something to you and i want to get us to see uh how god is disgusted he does not like disobedience this is talking about the law, or Schofield says, a disobedient son of the law. But listen to this. If a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and who, when they have chastened him, will not heed them, then his father and his mother shall take hold of him and bring him out of the elders out to the elders to the city and to the gate of the city. And they shall say to the elders of the city, This son of ours is a stubborn and rebellious. They, he will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Listen to this. Then all the men of the city shall stone him to death with stones. So you shall put away the evil from among you, and all Israel shall hear and fear. You know, some people say, "Well, if that was true today, there wouldn't be any any rebellious kids." I don't think so. I think if it was true today, there wouldn't be there wouldn't be too many rebellious kids. But what we see here is it's God's attitude towards rebellion. What we see here is God's attitude and hatred of rebellion towards parents. It is a very serious issue. Uh, We read in so many things, you know, when when, uh, Timothy's list of, of, you know, in the last days, there will be perilous times. Um, Lovers of, of, you know, well, in fact, let's, let's turn there, brethren, real quick. Uh, you know, we 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 see so much today disobedience of kids to parents, and the only reason I'm spending time on this is because it is a uh, it is an epidemic, and it's running amok in the church. He says, "But know this." I'm in Second Timothy chapter three, by the way. But this know that in the last days perilous times will come. Men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, and the list goes on. So we look at the character of, of Christian. We look at the character of, of, uh, of the husband and wife and, and the home in general. Children, obey your parents. And back in Ephesians 6, for this is right. This is right. Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment. It will be well with you. It will be well with you. God will bless you. You know, by the way, um, honoring your father and mother does not end at 18. I don't know who made that bright announcement, but um, honoring your father and your mother is something that that goes on through life. And you need to honor your father and your mother into the grave. And I know some of us don't have uh, good memories of our parents. Some of us have downright cruel parents. And others of us, um, myself included, have parents that were a gift from god but nonetheless we need to honor them Um, and children anybody listening to me honor your father mother. it will go well with you Um, i think that we need to instill on our children Um, you you obey me it goes well you don't obey me it doesn't go well and this president is set in a higher set of court not just the house but a higher set of court than that that's god's court then he goes on to verse 4. He says, And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath. Or, as I said, the Christian, uh, Home and Christian Standard Bible says, Don't stir up anger in your children. You know, there's, there's, we all know people that, that are parents that just seem to, um, you know, not listen and, and to their, their children, maybe have a viable complaint or what have you, and they treat them like uh, uh, like a throwaway commodity. Now, don't provoke your kids. Bring them up in training and in admonition of the Lord. And, uh, you know, I want to just say something here. Um, Parents, and I included, I have had seven kids and uh, seven grandchildren. And uh, let me just expound on this. This also uh, fits well, brethren. Uh, You know, the fact of bring up your children uh, in the training and ammunition of the Lord you know uh the bible says that uh, uh there's great strength and great advantage to people that the kids especially that see the the faith of their parents and uh <clears throat> like paul says in 1st corinthians 11 you know imitate me as i imitate christ and and so forth so it's very hard to uh you know beat your your kids over the head with with spiritual things whether it's bible reading or going to church whatever when they don't see it um in the lives of their parents. So we see even the raising of children uh, goes along with, you know, the growing of character in the Christian life. Uh, you know, your kids might not agree with everything that you do or whatever, but they should be able to look back and say, you know what, my parents are the real deal, you know. They not only honor their father and their mother, but, uh, you know, they walk the Christian life. They, they, uh, they live for Jesus Christ. And, uh, you know, there's a... In the Proverbs says, train up a child in the way she he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Uh, I've heard two different interpretations of that. Uh, the one that I have seen not only in in uh, in my life, but I've seen it in many other lives, um, train up a child in the way she he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Sometimes there's that valley there by the time, you know, the kids leave the home or whatever and kind of try things or whatever, but... More than, more than not, they come back to their senses, uh, and they, uh, they return to the Lord because they realize <clears throat> what they have been given. Before I go on and, and finish the rest of this, I want to, I want to, uh, kind of make a note on that. There's a story. It's a true story. In fact, it was taken many, many, many years ago. Uh, <clears throat> this woman had, uh, the story didn't indicate there was a man in there, but, but definitely the mother had, had raised up her child um, in the training and ammunition of the Lord, she was a strong follower of Christ, and so forth. And and uh, as he got older, he <clears throat> he joined, I believe it's the Royal Navy, I could be mistaken, but anyway, he joined the the Royal Forces and got mixed up with with you know <clears throat> the people of of his time and in the military and so forth, and kind of went uh, sideways. And they said that he could. He could curse and swear with the best of them. So one night he was uh, on top of the crow's nest and they were in the midst of a storm and their ship was hit broadside. And remember, this was many, many, many years ago. Their ship was hit broadside of the rogue wave and knocked him off the crow's nest into the ocean. <clears throat> and in the midst of that, when he hit the water, he his senses came to him and uh, he was fear of dying and he... It made a pact with the Lord if the Lord would save him, he'd serve him all the days of his life what what happened brethren is, is everything that his mother taught him came back to him he came to his senses and of course the Lord saved him got out of the uh, <clears throat> got out of the military and uh, served the rest of the lord rest of the days he served the lord as an evangelist so you know there's um, the word of God is powerful um, <clears throat> said that uh, it will go forth and will not return void, Isaiah says uh, it will accomplish what it's sent forth to to do. So parents, I would just admonish you to watch your walk closely, uh, live it openly in front of your kids, don't be ashamed and uh, <clears throat> live for the Lord and you leave the consequences up to him. And the uh, you'll you'll be amazed. Verse 5, it goes on, he says, bond servants. Bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters, or workers. You could say workers to your, your bosses or whatever. Um, they're your bosses according to the flesh. Everybody everybody works for somebody. Uh, and it says, with fear and trembling and sincerity of heart as to Christ. <clears throat> be devoted to your, your, you know, be loyal, be honest, be true, be the best worker you can, be the best you can be in front of those that God has placed in, in front of you uh, look at verse six. Not with eye service, you know, not with pleasing your buddies or the people you work with, or to make you popular, as men pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ. You belong to Christ. Therefore, as if you belong, because you belong to Christ and the character He wrought in you, you are going to be a loyal, dedicated, hardworking employee of any kind. Look at verse 7, with goodwill, doing service as the Lord, not to men. What kind of employer would not want an employee like this? You know, Christianity is the only, <clears throat> and I say religion only by comparison, it Is not a religion, it's a relationship to the living God, but it is the only religion where this is possible. Our character is changed because of Christ. You know, and because of Him and Him alone, uh, there have been many, many employers that should be grateful to the Lord that, that they have Christians, the followers of Christ working for them. They are loyal. They don't have to worry about pilfering. They don't have to worry about cheating or stealing. They can give them a task and they can know that they're going to do it from the heart. Uh, this is all mixed in with good character that we receive not only because we've been risen with Christ and seated with Christ in the heavenly places, remember back in chapter 2, verse 6, but we have so many riches, and it's it's coming out in our character. Um, this is what it means to be a Christian, brethren. Remember the saying we've had throughout the years, wherever there's a counterfeit, there's always the real thing. But unfortunately, wherever there's always a real thing, there's always a counterfeit. That's the sole reason why a counterfeit exists to mimic and try to fool those that don't know the real thing. So get to know the Word of God and and get into it, and let the Word of God get into you, and and, uh, you'll be amazed at at the power um, that we have, which we'll be seeing here in just a little bit. Knowing, again, verse 8, Knowing that... Whatever good you do, you'll be received the same from the Lord. Whether you're a slave or free, whether you're, you're a bond servant to any person or you're free in the Lord to do what you will, you do all things to Him in His glory. He's going to reward you. And then verse nine says, "And you masters, do the same thing to them, giving up, threatening, knowing that your own masters in heaven, there's no partiality with Him. You know, we're all brethren, um, and we should be uh, we should be honored." to be in a place of a position of authority over those to uh, give an example of Jesus Christ. Uh, just back, just like back in uh, the previous chapter, um, you know, verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. It's a privilege to be the head of the household. It's a privilege to be the head of my wife. I get the opportunity to love her and care for her tenderly as, as Jesus Christ loves and cares for me. What a privilege. Character, wow. Uh, what a fading commodity today. And yet, the one that's been born of God, um, the power of God and the life of God in him is, is a, there's no substitute for that. The Bible comes alive, uh, there's validity to your words, there's validity to your actions, there's validity to your life in Jesus Christ, you know. I remember when, when, uh, <clears throat> Lazarus, remember, had died. Mary and Martha's brother had died, and Jesus had uh, received no notice of it, and he purposely stayed behind four days, and and uh, you know finally got there, and both Martha and Mary, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died, and so forth. And what did Jesus respond? He said, "You know, just just wait, just be patient, you will see the glory of God." And uh, so as he raised Lazarus and brought him out of the grave. The scriptures say, and a little bit later, scriptures say that not only were the Pharisees religious leaders after Jesus to kill him, but now they were also after Lazarus because why? Lazarus bore testimony to the Lord Jesus Christ. He came from the grave. We've been born again, brethren. We have been spiritually born again with the life of God. That is powerful. Well, let's get on the rest of this chapter and let's talk about spiritual warfare, uh, for just a moment. And, uh, wow, I could spend three or four studies on this alone. Um, you know, as, as the, the one who's been born of God, the Christian who's been born again, uh, has entered into a, a spiritual battle, if you will. And, uh, We've been called out on the battlefield. We're in this fight, you know. William Grinnell says again, yet this is your calling, to make the Christian faith your daily work. And it is work. We go out and we we are in a world that hates Christ. Um, <clears throat> Jesus said, if they persecute me, they're also going to persecute you. Uh, you know, you walk out in this world as a Christian, as a child of God, and, and what is the one thing that satan can do uh against god and that is get his children uh he can't get you he can't possess you but he can harass you he can nullify your uh, testimony he can cause you to go into depression to doubt he can get you separated from the brethren he could get you uh angry Um, you know all these things that we'll talk about here in a little bit uh, that 's why that, as we go out, the Lord provides us with armor with spiritual armor to go out in this battlefield and we 'll go over that here real briefly what that what that armor is all about now there's there are so many good Books on this, like I said, I, I what I recommend if you can get this classic, the Clip, the Christian in Complete Armor, by William Gurnall, again G U R N A L L, which is fantastic. We are in a battle, and it all comes down to this, brethren. Peter explains that battle, okay. And if we want to turn back with me here to First Peter. And for First Peter chapter 5, actually, a classic on this, a classic. And I just want to go over a few things. Because, you know, as we, as we look at the Scripture, the Scripture has all kinds of, of um, admonitions to us to watch it, because we have an enemy out there. Satan will be a defeated foe. He already is a defeated foe. Jesus Christ defeated him on the cross. And he said, it is finished. Not only was the veil torn from top to bottom that, that, you know, opened the way to God, but he also rose from the dead and, uh, and ascended to the right hand of the Father. So Satan is already a defeated foe, but listen to what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 5. Let's start at verse 6. Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Listen to this, verse 8. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking who he may devour. Look at verse 9. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. But may, by the God of all grace who called us to his eternal glory in Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, he will perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. So we see that, uh, there, (laughs) Peter depicts him as a roaring lion, your adversary Satan. He's a roaring lion waiting for whom he may devour. You know, there is none that has suffered more in the uh, in the Christian life than the, than the Apostle Paul. But through it all, when he some of the last last of the last words he penned in Second Timothy chapter four verse eighteen, he said, "And the Lord will deliver me from every evil work, and He will preserve me for His heavenly kingdom. To Him be the glory forever, brethren. There's a battlefield out there. You have an enemy." And then enemy is called by different names, prince of power of the air, uh, you know, Satan, the devil, the deceiver. Uh, chapter 12 in Revelation, John calls him the deceiver that deceives the brethren night and day, accuses the brethren night and day. This battle is fierce. This battle rages. And it's not going to stop until the Lord Jesus Christ banishes him to, uh, to the lake of fire you know there is a uh, there's a story that that I want to just also illustrate this and you know it is such a a wonderment to me that the bible is alive and active and and uh will you know will describe this spiritual battle the spiritual warfare that's going on let me just uh you don't have to turn there but i'm in second kings chapter 6 i'm going to actually i'm going to start at um, verse 15 the whole point it was Elisha was constantly uh, giving out the plans of the king of Syria, and he was he was getting all upset. So basically, the the king of Syria found out that that uh, Elisha was in in the town of Dothan. So what he did is the king of Syria went out, even at, it's just much like the roaring lion we just talked about in Peter, and surrounded where the mount where the the servant of the Lord was, where Elisha was, and. So I'll, I'll start off with this point in verse 13. He says, So he said, See and go see where, where he is, that I may send and get him, talking about the king of Syria to Elisha. And it was told that he was saying, Surely he's in Dothan. Therefore, the king of Syria sent horses and chariots and a great army there. And they came by night surrounded the city. And when the servant of the man of God rose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city and with horses and chariots. And his master said to him, Alas, or the, excuse me, the servant said to Elisha, Alas, my master, what shall we do? So he answered, Elisha answered him, Do not fear for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Now, if you notice in this, it's all around Elisha. Why? Because God is in control. God only allows Satan to do so much. We are in a battle. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world, the scripture says. So we have the spiritual warfare. You know, quite, quite honestly, this is going to go on until the Lord throws him into the lake of fire. And how that is going to proceed is we are going to go on, uh, and, the, and the Lord will come for his saints, which, according to the word of God, once the rapture the snatching away of the saints, and it will open the floodgate for iniquity and wickedness, Satan will have his, his day, and as as Armageddon comes and Jesus comes back with His bride after uh, after the you know the Antichrist's short reign in Armageddon, and he will the dragon will be caught, Satan will be caught by the by a mighty angel and shut up in the abyss for a thousand years. The Bible says, during which time the Lord Jesus will have His millennial reign, and the earth will be will be covered from the knowledge of the lord as the waters cover the sea the scripture says but then after a thousand years are are done satan will be loosed for a time and he will deceive the nations of the earth because there's a lot of a lot of uh, people will be born in the kingdom naturally just like they are now and will follow his deception and then almost immediately this deception will not last very long until the lord himself will send fire down and consume the adversaries, and will personally take Satan and throw him to the lake of fire where the beast and the false prophet are already are, and he will be tormented day and night forever and ever. That is the history of him, brethren. He is a defeated foe. Jesus Christ defeated him on the cross. He purchased men of every tribe and tongue, and he bought him them with his blood. So with that stated, we'll start at verse 10 of chapter 6 of Ephesians. And finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. You know, that's what Paul said to Timothy, remember? To be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And be strong in the Lord. We are to be strong in him. Uh, I want to share something with you. Just a, uh, uh, you know, Second Timothy, Paul writes to Timothy, say, "You therefore, my son, be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Be strong in that, brethren. You know, before we go on and talk about what uh, what the strength of the Lord and the power of His might is, we want to understand grace again, as we've been talking about grace, not only unmerited favor." But the favor that has been shed abroad abundantly, that God shed abroad everything of himself in Jesus Christ. Grace. We didn't earn it. We can't, we can't work to keep it. We certainly don't deserve it. But the Lord, we are saved by grace. Ephesians chapter two, verse eight and nine. We're saved by grace. We're kept by grace. You can see that in Colossians chapter one, verse six and elsewhere. And we will be delivered by grace. So grace is, is, is God's unmerited favor, causing us to be born again, causing us to walk this life, and also being brought by grace and seated in the heavenlies with him by grace. And the Bible says in the wonderful letter we've been going through that that is going to be a showcase of for all eternity is the grace that God has shown us in Christ Jesus. So be strong in it. Finally, brethren, he says, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. So we are to be strong in grace, and now we're to be strong in the power of his might. Wow. And remember what we've gone through, that how that God raised up Jesus Christ. He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. We have redemption through his blood. We have an inheritance. This is all in the first chapter. We have an inheritance. Uh, listen to this. Remember this? this is in the first chapter. Are we starting at, uh, at verse 18? We pray that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance and saints. Listen to this, verse 19. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe? According to the work of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him in his right hand in the heavenly places. And when we jump over to chapter 2, remember verse 6, guess who he's also raised up with Christ. Listen to this. And he raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ. We are to be strong in his might, strong in his power. The Lord God of the universe Is who redeemed us? Paul says in Romans 8, Who will condemn us? It's Christ who died and rose again. Um, Be strong in that, brethren. You are not to fear. We are always in his hands. And this is all by his might. Remember our list? He's chosen you in him before the foundation of the world. He's predestined you to adoption as a son. He's made you accepted in the beloved. He's redeemed you through his blood. He has given you an inheritance. You have been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise that guarantees your inheritance. You have his power in you as a believer. You've been raised with Christ by the same power, and you sit with him in the heavenlies. You've been saved by grace, which is which is absolutely from God and God alone, and you've accessed, listen to this, through Christ to the Father. That is all because the God of the universe who has no rivals is all powerful. Remember, this God spoke and the universe leapt into existence. brother my, Be strong in this. The power of his might. Look at verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. That you may be able to stand. Look at verse 12. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Let me read that again, brethren. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places let me let me uh real quick I love this being able to just have the freedom to go back and forth and quote from this wonderful man who in so in so many years ago uh wrote about the, the Christian battle. He says, The outcome of the battle rests on God's performance, not on your skill or strength. Did you get that? It rests on God's performance. And as we look in, in uh, this 12th verse, which is very telling about what this spiritual warfare is, brethren, we're not wrestling against flesh and blood. We're not wrestling against the schemes of, of you know, people. But the principalities and the powers, right? I want you again just to flip back real quick, okay? When God raised Christ from the dead, remember in chapter 1, I want you to look at verse 20 and 21. Verse 20 says, Which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Look at verse 21 far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the age to come. That is an eternal redemption. Christ was raised to an eternal position. And guess what? We are raised with him. Chapter 2, verse 6. Remember, we're raised with Christ. We're seated with him. The victory has already been won. We know the outcome of this war. And Satan would have you think that if he could just win a few battles, brethren, that is taking place in an unprecedented area. The Christian, most Christians around here are so beat up and so torn down and so depressed and so lukewarm that they're they're effective in Christ and their life is Horrible. It is the most miserable to walk around trying to live the Christian life when you don't have the power to live it. It's impossible. So back in Ephesians 6, we're going to put on this, verse 11, this whole armor so we can stand against these, these wiles. We don't wrestle, verse 12, against the flesh and blood that, that faces. There is forces behind that. Remember back in Second in Kings where Elisha said, all That the servant could see as the flesh and blood forces before him. We're doomed. What can we do? There's only us. We're doomed. But there is a higher understanding. The spiritual reality is just that. That's the real reality. And Elisha said, Lord, oh, please open his eyes. And once the servant's eyes were opened, he saw what was really going on. He saw the victory, and he saw the Lord surrounding his people. And it's absolutely wonderful. Verse 13 says, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand. Okay, now, one of the great uh, words in the Bible is the little word all, because it means just that, all. You know, uh, it doesn't mean there's 12 eggs in the basket, not only use 11, it means all, all 12, all of them. And if you look at through, if you've ever done a study like I have, <laughs> the word all in the Bible, it is uh, all inclusive. You understand that? It is all inclusive. Uh, we, you know, we see that. If you want to turn to Philippians with me real quick, and we'll, we'll see that uh, very plainly taught in, in a practical way. Look at Philippians chapter four, verse six. We see this. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer. Okay? And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. You can't get around it. Verse 6 says, be anxious for nothing. That means nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. You can't be anxious for some things and Suffocations for some things. The Bible says all. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer. And that's just an example of what this little word all stands for. That you may be able to stand in the evil day, having done all to stand. Look at verse 14. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Gird your waist with truth. You know, I think that uh, as we look at, at the Christian life and, and why, why do we, we have a force that we fight? Why do we have, why is Satan so active why is he out to, because as we see, uh, we can also see this in Isaiah 14 with, with the I wills. When Satan fell through pride, he says, I will, you know, rise above the stars of God. I will, uh, you know, be like the Most High. I will, I will, I will. I will. And what he is doing, brethren, he is stating there that through pride he wants to usurp God. He wants to usurp God and uh, causes people to forsake their loyalty, forsake their master. He wants them to uh, be disloyal, to live defeated lives. Satan's aim is to, uh, he can't take our soul, but he can make us miserable in, in this life. The whole armor of God. What is the whole armor of God? You know, there's been so many books written about it. There's been so many things talked about it. Uh, The whole armor of God. Jesus, it it has been said in Scripture, that he exercised this. You know, the Lord Jesus, as he walked this earth, uh, he exhibited absolute dependency on his Father. That is number one that I want to point out as we start to talk about this are you given over to jesus christ does he rule your life does he rule your family does he rule your affairs does he rule everything does he rule your thought life when we have when we are strong in the power of the lord and the strength of his might when we submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ that is when we are the most uh well that's when satan looks at us and we are become a target because that's when we are important to him you know the ones that are that are lukewarm the ones that don't have any kind of testimony, the ones that are afraid to really stand out for Jesus, the ones that just want to blend in, you know, want to go to heaven, but they don't want to pay the price, as William Grenal said. Those are the ones Satan doesn't really uh, concern himself about. But spiritual warfare, brethren, is those that are on the battlefield for Jesus Christ, that stand for him against the tide, bringing as many souls, or as Jude would say, snatching as many souls out of the fire as possible, those are the ones that are the most uh, dangerous to Satan and his program. And that's why we are told to put on the whole armor of God. Put it all on. Don't just put some of it on, and don't just take some of it off. Don't ever take it off. You know, the problem is that sometimes... uh we as a tendency want to take that armor off. We want to just relax for a little while. And that is exactly when Satan will attack. He has had all the history of, of the human race to study us to know what, what, what's going on down here. He has so many people, so many demons following him. It acts like he's everywhere at once. And yet he is a created being. So we stand with this armor. So in verse 14, having girded your waist with truth, the waist, the core. You know, uh, you'll see this in in sports. You'll see this in, in the health and the vitality of the body. It comes from the core or the waist or the middle of the body. The body and the core is in shape. The whole body will be in shape. We are to gird our waist with truth, with truth, with solid biblical truth. Do you know the word of God? Can you defend the Lord Jesus Christ, your faith? You know, I want to read something to you real quick, and we all know it, but let's, let's go to 1 Peter real quick. It, this is amazing because God has not left us in the dark about what to do and about how to stand, how to speak for Him, how to act. 1 Peter chapter 3. Verse fifteen, we all have heard and know this verse, but, but let's let's look at this closely. It says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Great verse, right? But a lot of people forget the first part of that verse. But sanctify the Lord God in your heart. Have you done that? Is he king? You see, Lord, put on his armor. He knows he's the best tailor around. He has that armor of God tailored just for you that will fit you perfectly. Put on your waist, gird it about with truth. The truth of the word of God, the truth of Jesus Christ Christ who is God in human flesh. He is the God-man. He is the Savior that came to die for the sins of mankind. He is God's salvation. Apart from him, we have no hope. Apart from him, there is no salvation. Jesus Christ is God. He is full of grace and truth. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness... You know, the breastplate, wow, that's one that guards the, the eternal organs, guards everything that that makes us live and makes us vital. Righteousness. Our righteousness comes by Jesus Christ. I place my faith in him. He deposited righteousness to my account. I am righteous because of Jesus Christ. Every single person in this world who's ever lived needs one thing, and that's righteousness. They need the righteousness of God, and we have it, brethren, through faith in Jesus Christ, crucified, buried, and risen on our behalf. Praise the Lord. Wow. So we have a waist girded with the truth. We have our our vitals guarded with righteousness. Verse fifteen: Having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, you know Isaiah fifty-two said, you know, uh, uh, talks about that, you know, good tidings. The ones who proclaim good tidings are your feet prepared for the preparation of the gospel? Have you made Christ Lord and sanctify Him? So when everybody asks a reason for the hope that lies within you, you can share it with confidence with with. gentleness and yet forcefulness and conviction? He says, but above, above all, look at verse 16. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Wow. Above all, verse 16, taking the shield of faith. You know, I want to read a A little thing that came out of the original 1975 Open Bible from uh, Thomas Nelson. There was a note in it that says, "Now faith is a substance, or the title deed of things hoped for." He says, "Your faith is your title deed to eternal life." Just as a title deed is evidence of a real estate, so your faith is evidence of your eternal estate in God. Faith is your title deed. I have faith that I am the Lord's, and nothing will happen to me unless it passes through the hands of a loving God. Did you know that? Nothing will happen to you unless it passes through the loving hands of your Father who is in heaven. And that title deed was purchased, again, by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. You see why it is so essential to realize that Christ defeated Satan on the cross. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 3. Wow. Remember Genesis chapter 3? God promised, and he said, I will put enmity between you and the woman. He's talking to Satan now. And between your seed and her seed, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. In other words, he's gonna crush Satan with one blow, and that was on the cross. Satan was defeated. You know, so many times Jesus or Satan tried to get Christ to divert, you know. Remember when he tempted him in the wilderness all through his ministry, uh, even even when he was on the cross, you know, the religious leader said, Come down from the cross and we will believe you. Because see, if he came down from the cross, he would have not proclaimed the victory that he did, but he stayed there on the cross. He died. He was buried. Three days later, he rose from the dead, proclaiming not only eternal life to all those who placed their faith in him, but that he is the Son of God by proof of the resurrection of the dead. So you can see where we need to be strong in faith, not only strong as might, We need to take, again, let's go back over this armor real quick. Look at verse 14 again. Have you girded your waist with truth? with truth, not half-truths, not, well, I believe it might be truth. Well, you know, it's a fad today, and it's growing within this church so big that, well, you know what, there's myths in the Bible. You can't really take it as as, as truth, you know, as written by man and blah, blah, blah. Well, you know what, if you take that premise, brethren, how do you how do you pick and choose what's truth and what's not? I have a wonderful friend or wonderful friend's uh And uh, his wife, her name is Gail, she said something one time, and it just clicked with me, and I love it. She said, the Word of God is not a buffet. You can't pick and choose what you want. It's either all or nothing. The Bible is either 100% true and accurate and the Word of God, or it is not. And if you struggle with errors of doubt, get on your knees and ask God to give you that unwavering understanding that this is the Word of God. And I want to give you a scripture that if you are ever uh you know toiling with that, sometimes doubts arise in your mind. Um, you know, I I want to read Proverbs chapter thirty, and, and if any of you have known me for any length of time, this is this is a wonderful, wonderful verse. The thirtieth Proverb and the fifth verse says this every word of God is pure. He is a shield to those who put their trust in Him. Gird your waist with truth. And that truth will lead you to salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will have the righteousness of Christ, to your account. It will guard the vital and vital organs and, and of your breastplate, so to speak. You're going to regard Jesus Christ and sanctify him as Lord God in your life, as Peter said in, in 1 Peter 3.15. So you're going to, you're going to be ready for the preparation of the gospel of peace. You're going to shod those shoes, so to speak. You're going to be able to go because you're confident. And verse 16, above all, you're going to take that shield of faith. And with that shield of faith, brethren, you're going to be able to distinguish some. Are the fiery darts of the wicked one? No. Here's our word again. You're going to be able to quench all of the fiery darts of the wicked one. Wow. Faith. One of the great statements of faith in the Bible. Job made that wonderful statement. Remember? Though he slay me, yet I will trust in him. Though he slay me. Think about that. Think about that statement. Job had gone through some horrific suffering. Even his wife turned against him, so to speak. But in Job chapter 13, verse 15, he makes this statement. Though he slay me, yet I will trust him. This does not come by human nature. This comes from God. God will open your eyes. That you will know beyond the shadow of a doubt, you will know even more than your next breath that the Bible is the Word of God. The psalmist says it is entirely true from the beginning to the end, from Revelation all the way back to Genesis, from Genesis all the way to Revelation. It is the Word of God, and it is true. We have faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And with that, you're going to be able to quench all of the fire darts of the wicked one. There is no 1 Corinthians ten thirteen. Remember, there is no temptation that has overtaken you, but such is common to man. But God will give you the way of escape. There is nothing that Satan can throw at you that will cause your demise. Nothing that we can ever achieve in this life is going to be achieved on our strength alone. Everything that is achieved in this life to the glory of God and our good is by the strength and the power of his might. Look at verse 17. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. I want to take just a minute here. I know we're getting a little bit late on this, brethren, and thank you for sharing this with me. This is so exciting. I pray that the Lord would open the eyes of you and understand that you may see these things. 17 says, and take the helmet of salvation. Wow. The helmet of salvation. Turn back to Isaiah chapter 59 with me real quick. If, if, if you have a moment, if you don't, that's okay. You can look up the references later. Isaiah 59. Wow. Yeah, way back, you know, I had a gentleman try to want to use my pulpit one time and says, well, I don't teach the Old Testament. You know, I just teach the New Testament. Really? Well, you'd be amazed how many times the Old Testament is quoted, how many times the Apostle Paul uses the Old Testament. Because as you remember, when Paul and Peter were sharing the Gospel, the New Testament hadn't been written yet. The Scriptures that they had were the Old Testament scriptures. Look at Isaiah 59, verse 17, talking about Christ. Well, actually, let's go back to verse 16, because this is a famous verse about, you know, there's nobody but, but the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, I saw that there was no man, verse 16, and wondered that there was no intercessor, therefore his own arm brought salvation to him. And his own righteousness is sustained him. Look at verse seventeen. For he, talking about Christ, put on righteousness as a breastplate, and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on the garments of vengeance for clothing, and was clad with zeal as with a cloak. We want to be followers of Christ. We want to stand in this world. So when when the time comes that we either physically die and go to be with the Lord or the Lord comes back for his bride and to meet him in the air, we will hear those words that all true Christians want to hear. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. The helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. You know that Jesus, remember, is called the word of God. Um, back in john chapter one um you know i love the bible the bible is if you read it you cannot fathom it and yet god gives you such joy and what you do understand that you keep searching and searching and growing and growing in the beginning was the word and the word was with god and the word was god jesus christ is the word The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. You know, Satan would do nothing, would would rejoice nothing more than have Christians unable to wield the Word of God, unable to use their sword. They're sloppy in it. They can't use it. They can't defend it. They can't quote from it. They can't use it. But as far as this armor goes, we see that there's a sword that we have, and it's of the Spirit, and it's the Word of God. Brethren, I ask you to get into the Word of God and let it get into you. Let it do its work in you. It effectively works in those who believe, Paul told the Thessalonians. The Word of God, learn how to wield it masterfully, know it, live it, and love it, as J. Vernon McGee would say. We need to know the word of God. Immerse yourself in it. Don't go a day without reading it and getting into it. You know, there's so many uh, places in the word of God that Job says, I deem his word more than my necessary food. It is your defense. It is your joy. It is your comfort. It is the glory of that we have that we can glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. It is our comfort and it's our stability. It is our confidence. I want to uh talk a little bit just real quick about confidence and then we'll we'll be wrapping this up. I know this has been long, brethren, and I thank you so much for being with me and sharing this with me. But the word of God, when when you know how to wield your, your sword, you look at the confidence. I'm Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 being confident Paul says of this very thing he has begun a good work and you will complete it until the day of Christ being confident you know we want to be confident we know that, that, that he's confident By in Colossians chapter 1 verse 6 he said it is bringing forth fruit as it is also among you in the day you heard of it and knew the grace of God and truth he's confident it's a book of knowing you know, First John 5.13, we write these things to you that you may know that you have eternal life. It's a confidence. It's an expectation. It's a great hope. We know how to wield that, that sword. We know that, that when we're in a battle, we can wield that sword and nothing will be able to defend us. Or I say, should say nothing would be able to come against our defense because the Lord is, is our defense. Learn the Word of God. Get into the Word of God. And by foremost, anytime you hear somebody, including the one speaking today, check them out with the Word of God. I cannot state that enough. Any man that is truly sent from God will demand that you check him out with the word of god do not take his word solely for it check him out and when you do you will realize that that is how god solidifies truth in our life learn so when you know the real thing you know the Word of God. You can see the false coming to you on the horizon. You can see that false teacher. You know something's false. You know that that is not the right thing because you are immersed in the Word of God. You know how to wield your spirit, and you know what God is saying of us. It is so important. Verse 18, he says, Praying always is with, with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit being watchful to this and with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Do you start to understand my, my occupation with the word all? Just in verse 18, uh, we have all three times. We are not in this, brethren, halfway. When the Spirit baptized you on the body of Christ, First Corinthians chapter 12, He didn't immerse you with one foot in the body of Christ and one foot in the world. That would mean that you'd have one foot alive and one dead. Remember our our, our uh, scripture in John, chapter 5, verse 24. Remember that we've been called from death into life. No more as judgment our lot, but we've been transferred from death into life, all of it. We've been immersed wholeheartedly. He says in verse 19, And for me the utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly and make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am a bastard in chains, that I ought to speak boldly as I ought to speak. Verse 21, But that you also may know my affairs and how I am doing. Tychius, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make all things known to you, whom I have sent to you for this very purpose, that you may know our affairs and that he may comfort your hearts. Peace to the brethren and love with faith, from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse twenty-four. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity, brethren. Let's give our let's give everything to the Lord and leave all the circumstances and, and outcomes of our life to Him. He is a wonderful, wonderful Master. He will give us everything that we need. I hope that these studies have been of a wonderful uh nourishment to you and to and as they have with me. I'm just so sometimes was so overwhelmed. You know there's a story that I'll end with here that also uh, William Gernall had had uh, had stated, and it's one that really spoke to me. And that was there was a um, a Roman uh, military leader that was parading around the the arena in triumph. He had had a great victory uh, militarily, and he was riding with his big steed in front, and his army following him. And he had made a great victory. He won a great victory, defeated a a huge army. And yet there was a prostitute that was over on the side of the arena, and she caught his eye, and he couldn't take his eye off of her. And what he's saying is that this man who went out and conquered a great army, a great victory, was defeated by one single act of lust. Brethren, your adversary is roaring like a lion seeking whom he might devour. We're to take up the whole armor of God. Don't become slack. The Lord will give you joy in this. He will give you joy in understanding that that wow I can wear his way his his I can gird my waist with truth. I could put on righteousness in my breastplate. I could put on my feet the preparation of the gospel of peace. You know, brethren, the world is screaming for peace. Every individual is screaming for peace in his life. We have it. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, Romans 5.1. We also have the peace of God, Paul writes in Philippians, that passes all understanding. So we not only have peace with God, we have the privilege of having the peace of God in all circumstances. We have the shield, the shield of faith. Which, which we can, we can defeat, if you will, the, the, the flaming arrows of the enemy where the world falls at all the time. They're captive and they do his will all the time. They're led around and they're, they're helplessly, powerlessly. Doing his will, they have no power. They're, he's constantly laying them low, having the wickedness flow in this world, and they're doing it for him at his command. But us, we've been called out of this world, Jesus said. You are no more of this world, either, just like me. Even as I am not of the world, Jesus said, you are not of the world in him. Wow, what a gift. Let us Have you told the Lord Jesus that you loved him today? For this, he loves you. He has given you such a wonderful, wonderful life. It has been my privilege, brethren, to sit with you these many hours, to go through this wonderful letter to the Ephesians, to see our wonderful life in Christ, to go through the first three chapters to see our position, our absolute wealth, and then the last three chapters to see our walk in this glorious position, and to understand why there's a warfare and and, and what's really going on. Um, so put on the whole armor of God. Be joyful in the Lord and be strong in the strength of his might. Again, it's been my privilege to be with you. And until next time in some other study, I bid you farewell, and I bid you Godspeed. God bless you, brethren.